0: So I believe, as I hope that most people do, that I have the best mom in the world. Not that you believe that my mom's the best, but that you believe that your mom's the best. I will accept that. But I believe that I have the best mom in the world. And I was raised that that one of a a man's highest priorities is is to uh, defend the honor of women. And as a young boy, you're taught that, especially in regards to your mom. And of course, when you get older, you're taught that you're just been the honor of your wife. And so loving my mom the way I do and being taught this priority uh, the way I was, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, one of my friends had a crush on my older sister, Stacy. And at a uh, physical education class, P class one day, he was going on and on about how how beautiful that he thought my sister was and he was talking about her nonstop and and I was staying there and I was just getting a a bit annoyed with with him just continuing on and so I finally said to him, I said, hey man, uh, my sister knows that you like her. He suddenly got very straight faced and said, what'd you have to tell her that for? And I told him, I said, I didn't tell her. My mom did. And then he said back to me, well, your mom has a big mouth. And so I punched him in the face. This is how I showed my honor and protection of my mom. I would do anything for my mom, including punch a friend straight in the face for insulting her. Well, we're going to look at a story today from the cross about someone who would do anything for for their mother, but, but... but this person, Jesus himself, did it in a much more Christian way than I did. And so wherever you're at, in your living rooms, in your bedrooms, uh, in your kitchens, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to the book of John chapter 9, and we heard it read already, but we're going to go back there to or John chapter 19, I apologize. And we will begin reading in verse 25. And I'm going to read verses 25 through, through 27 And then, as I did last week, I'm just going to take a couple moments to talk about some of the secondary people around uh, the cross, the other individuals that that are in this story. And then I'll come to the actual words and the actions of Jesus. But beginning in John chapter 19, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. When I read this story, I read there that there are four women standing around the cross of Jesus. Maybe you don't read it quite that way. Some people think there's only two or three, but, but I read four women standing around the cross. There is Jesus' mother. There is Jesus' aunt, Mary's sister. There is Mary, the wife of Clopas. And there is Mary Magdalene. I believe John listed all four women to contrast them against the four soldiers that were mentioned in verse 23. This is is something John does in his writing. He he adds these little subtle elements, these little subtle moments, just as little hints about about faith and about uh, uh, to contrast people against one another. Faith versus non-faith. And John lists all four women to contrast them, I believe, to the four soldiers mentioned in verse 23. As I said, Verse 23 reads in this way. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. Four unbelieving soldiers contrasted against the four believing women standing around the cross. There was four soldiers who all they cared about what was going on in their world, and there was four believing women that were just mourning what was happening to Jesus. It is a subtle reference John put in, but we see even in Jesus' darkest hour, Even in the most uh, desperate of times, there were still people that were believers, still people that were willing to come around Jesus, even though he was seen as a criminal. Jesus then will reference another individual, and that is the author of this book, John. And John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. John refers to himself in this way in other parts of, of the book of John, this is not an arrogant title. He, he is not saying I'm better than all the other disciples or I'm, or I'm better than anyone else. This is, this is simply him uh, con, uh, uh, giving himself a title of, of affection, showing the, com, the closeness that is, was between him and Jesus. It would be like someone asking me, hey, do you know Scott or do you know Aaron or, or do you know Greg? And I would be able to say to all, in regards to all three of those individuals, yes, I'm their best friend. I have three best friends. And vice versa, they could say it to me. I'm not saying I'm better than their other friends. I'm simply giving a con- context of my relationship with them. And that was what John was doing here, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was like saying Jesus and I are our best friends. These are the secondary characters in this story. But our but our primary character, Jesus, in verse 23, in verse 26 looks down, he's there on the cross, and he looks down, and his heart is moved. The Bible says when Jesus saw his mother there. Now, I don't want to move too quickly past this humanity, the humanity of this moment. I picture in this moment a deep bond between a mother and a son, a lot of commentaries just rush right past this moment, or they say very little. There's not a lot of commentary on, on this portion of Scripture and on these words of Jesus. They, they, they immediately want to go to spiritualizing this moment or, or, or painting the broad picture, but, but I don't want us to miss the humanity of this moment. One commentator, Barclay, William Barclay, he doesn't rush past it quite as fast. And he refers to this moment as surely one of the loveliest things in all the gospel story. One of the loveliest things in all the gospel story. Ellen White also makes note of this moment and she references it with great tenderness. She writes this, As the eyes of Jesus wandered over the multitude about him, one figure, one individual arrested his attention. At the foot of the cross stood his mother. It shouldn't surprise any of us that Jesus' mother was there in that moment. Yes, she had her faults. If you read the Gospels, you see that Mary was not perfect. Mary was not a, a saint. She had her doubts about Jesus. She tried to quiet him in his, when he was teaching or when he was healing, but she was still his mom, and, and she needed to be there for her son. The rest of the world may have seen Jesus as a criminal, but, but she saw him as her son. Rudyard Kipling wrote in a poem entitled, Mother O Mine. He wrote this, if I were hanged on the highest hill, Mother O Mine, O Mother O Mine, I know whose love would follow me still, mother of mine, oh mother of mine. Jesus, as I said, was a, was a criminal in the eyes of the law, but he was still Mary's son. And mothers are there, the best of mothers are there for their sons when they need them. My mom once told me a story about a time when she had to go to some continuing ed classes for her, her nursing program. And, and, and one of the seminars she went to was about how to relate or to give empathy or relate to someone who was facing a terminal illness, a terminal sickness. And in this class, they told the people that, that when patients are going through this experience, oftentimes they they want to cling to one thing. They want to keep control of one thing in their lives. And, and how can you as a nurse help to... Uh, Give them that control where they can still have some sense of, of control and, 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 and comfort in their lives. And to, to illustrate this, the seminar instructor said, I'm going to tell you a story. And before I tell you the story, I want you to write down the 10 most important things in your life. And then as I go through this story, at certain points, you're going to have to cross off those 10 things. And at the end of the story, you're only going to be able to keep one thing, and my mom is sharing this story with me while I'm sitting there on the couch, and I'm not sure where she's going with this. If she wants me to know that I wasn't even on her list of 10 or if I was the first one crossed off because we had just had a little bit of a fight, I didn't know where she was going with this moment. And she's sitting there, and she's telling me this story, and she said to me, She said, as the story was told, we crossed off these things. And she said, it was a powerful story. And everyone in the room was was crying as they were having to go through this exercise. And she said, and then I got down to my last two. And she said, and they said, now cross off and circle the one thing you are going to keep. And she said, I circled your name, Chad. Chad. You would be the one thing on my list. That is the bond of a mother. Now at the time, my mother was sharing this with me for I believe two reasons. One is because she was worried about the direction my life was going and she was worried that, she would, that someone would need to be in my corner someday. So she was concerned about that. But I believe she was also telling me this, that, that telling me Chad, no matter what you do in your life, and no matter where you go, and no matter what mistakes you make, I will be there for you. That is the bond between a mother and a son. What made me punch my friend straight in the face, what, what made Jesus look down and, and have just that one person arrest his attention, his mom, and what made my mom keep me on her list as the last thing, is that bond between a mother and a son. I share this, and I pause here, not wanting to rush past this story before getting to the broader spiritual application because I have spoken to a number of members of our church. I've spoken to a number of friends. I've been watching the things online. And right now, there are a lot of people that are worried about their moms and their dads, Worried about a a grandparent, a grandmother or a grandfather. Worried about a a family member who has a a, a compromised immune system. That is my biggest worry in this season. My dad doesn't have the best of health and my mom, even though she is kind of retired, she's going back to the hospital to help, to work in the ER because that's who she is and that's what she does. For those that are worried about their parents or their grandparents in this time, I want you to hear in this story that that we have a Savior who can relate in this moment, as Ellen White wrote to us, in this moment of his deepest suffering, one person, one person arrested his attention, his mom. If you're worried about a parent right now, Jesus can relate to what you are going through. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom He loved standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And woman was not a derogatory term then, just so you know. And then in verse 27, to the disciple he said, here is your mother. Ellen White gives further light on this. She says, the perfect example of Christ's filial love shines forth with undimmed luster from the mist of ages For nearly 30 years, Jesus, by his daily toil, had helped bear the burdens of the home. And now, even in his last agony, in his last suffering, he remembers to provide for his sorrowing widowed mother. The same spirit will be seen in every disciple of our Lord. Those who follow Christ will feel that it is a part of their religion to respect and provide for their parents. From the heart where his love is cherished, Father and mother will never fail of receiving thoughtful care and tender sympathy from their children. To those of us who still have our parents living, let us care for our moms and our dads the way that Jesus did, but let us also remember that Jesus is caring for them too and he can relate to what we are going through. But but I do want to broaden this out even more to all of us, to to all of humanity. I want us all to see that in this moment, the compassion of Jesus as he was going through suffering and trials. Jesus was going through a, a trial, a deeper trial than any of us can fully comprehend, but he was still taking moments to show compassion. The first words from Jesus from the cross that we, that we read a couple weeks ago, Jesus was praying for forgiveness over those who were crucifying him, those who were insulting him, those who were spitting upon him. Jesus still paused to show them compassion in his greatest hour of trial. Last week, we looked at the criminal who hung on the cross who said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus gave him the assurance of salvation, a word of compassion even as Jesus is suffering. And now, this, as as Barclay claimed, uh, testified, maybe the most tender of all moments in all the Gospels, caring for his mom. Here's, here's what's so powerful in the latter two stories, the the first, the prayer for the forgiveness encompasses all those people and encompasses everyone but, but in these latter two stories the story of the criminal on the cross and the story of how Jesus relates to his mother Jesus while, while the salvation of all mankind is resting upon him and what he does in that moment he's still taking time to pause for just one person to care for just the one The salvation of all humanity depends upon Jesus on the cross in that moment, and he still pauses to say, I'm going to take care of just you in his suffering. Isaiah 53 in verse 6 says, we all, that means all of us, all humanity, like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Iniquity is just a fancy word for sins. Iniquity is just a fancy word for all our regrets. Iniquity is just a fancy word for all of our guilt, for all of our disappointments, for all the pain and emotional trials that we struggle with and physical trials that we struggle with. Jesus, the Savior of the universe, has all of that laid upon him. And yet he pauses to address the needs of just one, Wow, sometimes it causes me to tremble. He's got the whole world in his hands, and yet he pauses to talk to one person. Think about that. That With all that is going on in the world in this moment, all that is happening in the world in this moment, with COVID-19, with the economy, with everything else that we can't even see with our own eyes. Jesus pauses to address your need, to comfort you, and to be there for you. Just the one. And for me, just the one. Each individually. There is something so powerful, something of such great magnitude when when a powerful person pauses to focus on a single individual. I knew an individual that was a police officer out west and at one event he was asked to, to be security, to provide special security for then President of the United States, Bill Clinton. Now this individual that I'm speaking of is a staunch Republican. This was the 1990s, so we didn't have Twitter, but if we had had Twitter back then, this would be an individual that would retweet memes, mean memes about President Clinton and probably his wife and maybe even his daughter. That's how, that's how devout of, uh, uh, or angry of a Republican he was at that moment. Uh, this would be an individual that if he was on Facebook and, and there was some Fox News commentary there, that he would click the like button on anything that was negative about Bill Clinton. But he was there doing security for the then president of the United States, Bill Clinton. And he said following the event, uh, after they were finished at the event, the police officers were told that the president wanted to come and personally thank them for their work that day. And so they were ushered into a room, and and he said he thought that the president was going to come into this room of all these these police officers and, and say thank you, and I appreciate what you've done for us, and then go on his way. He said they waited there for a few minutes, and, and then at last, finally, a door opened up and in walked some security, and then after that, in walked the President of the United States. But rather than the President group, uh, uh, just addressing this large group of individuals in the room, the President began to go around to each and every one of them and shake their hand. And he would ask their name, and he asked them about their families. And he said he took two or three minutes with each individual talking to them. This man, when he relayed the story, said to me, and in that moment, I was a fully committed Democrat. Why? He told me that when President Clinton spoke to him, the way he looked at me, the way he addressed me by name, how focused he was in the moment on just me i felt like the most important person not only in that room but the most important person in the world when power pauses to minister to the one it has such magnitude but jesus didn't do this as a as a politician He does it as Savior, the global Savior, the the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He does to pause just to the one, even though he is all-powerful and almighty, more powerful than any president or any king that has ever existed. Jesus doesn't meet the one in a designated room where there's peace and they're calm and everyone is lined up. He shows his personal care in the midst of his suffering In the midst of trial and tribulation and struggle, Jesus still pauses to meet just the one in that moment. That is how much Jesus loves you and that is how much he loves me. And right now, Jesus, in the midst of all this trial in the world, is wanting to meet with just you every single day. When I think about this, when I ponder this, of what Jesus has done for me. How much Jesus loves me, and how much Jesus loves you. It, it moves me. But it moves me not just to appreciate it, but it moves me to, to respond in some way. If Jesus has done this for us in this hour of crisis, how much more should we do for our fellow man in this time of stress and anxiety as well? Jesus, you've done for me. Now, now what can I do for you? And Jesus says, "Go and minister and love as I have loved you." Just this week in the Washington Post, they released the following poll. Seven in 10 Americans cite the virus outbreak as a source of stress, and one in three saying it has caused serious stress and anxiety in their lives. Women and those with children, the post continues, and those with children at home are some of the most likely to feel additional pressure. They say this because most women now are working out of the home, and so, so now they feel that extra burden to to figure out how to work still, but also how to care for, for their children and to make sure that their kids are getting the right education and the right food and, and, and being safe themselves. They, the women, they say, feel three quarters of, of women in our nation are saying that the outbreak has caused them stress and four in 10 are describing this as serious anxiety, causing serious anxiety in their lives. Seven in 10 Americans say that they are worried that they or someone in their immediate family might catch the disease. That means that someone listening to this message right now is is feeling the strain, the stress, the anxiety of this virus, of catching this disease. But, But it also means that our neighbors are and that our coworkers are And that our fellow church members are. It means that the people that we are keeping six feet or more away from in the grocery store. I was at Costco not too long ago. And a lady was literally running away from people as they got close. She's feeling the strain of this moment. In our trials. And we're all in this trial together. In our trials, are we going to exhibit Jesus' care to this world or are we just going to isolate like everybody else? When I think about what Jesus has done for me, what he has done for you, that that he is willing in his greatest hour of trial, he's willing to go to the one. When I think about all that's going on in this world and I think about, Jesus, how do you have time for my little issues? And Jesus says, I still have time for you, just the one, to meet with you, to be with you that he showed compassion to the one. It makes me ask, what can I do? Brothers and sisters, this virus is causing us to be physically distanced, but we don't have to have any distance in our compassion for others. Who can you reach out to? Who can you show love to? Who can you pray with? Who can you encourage with a word or with a text or with a phone call or with a note? Are you stressed about our economy? Who else do you know that's stressed about our economy? How can you call them or connect with them to encourage them in their struggles and their suffering? What acts of compassion can you provide to another to minister to their stress? In our crisis, I want to implore our church and all our church family and all who are watching in this moment, let us follow our perfect model, Jesus Christ. The other day I received a text from a member going through a very difficult and sorrowful situation in their life, a situation more intense and, and, and more profound than anything I have ever struggled with in my life. And the text was letting me know that their family was, was bringing us food and they said, don't worry, pastor, we, we've, we've protected it all and we don't have any of the virus, no COVID in our house, and we protected it all and everything's fine. But they said, we wanna bring you food, Pastor, because we wanna say thank you to you for ministering to our church, and thank you to your wife for being willing to put herself on the front lines of the COVID-19 virus every day. When I read that text, tears came to my eyes. It began to go into my, down my cheeks that, that someone in their suffering, as their family is suffering through something, had the compassion to bring Jesus into my home, into my house. In their trial and their suffering, they paused to extend the compassion of Jesus to us. May all of us go and do likewise.